Welcome to the Broken Learning Podcast, where we talk about unlearning beliefs that no longer serve us and much more. We are your hosts, Aisha, aka Shante, and Ejiro, aka Ejiro. Join us bi weekly for a new episode. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Rogue Unlearning. Also, if you listen on Apple Podcasts, hey, don't forget to leave us a five star rating. Wink, wink. Season 5, Episode 6, Financial Freedom in Canada with Chris. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Rogue on Learning. This is your favorite, favorite host, no shade, Adriel. Aisha, this is Aisha, by the way. No shade. Like, I, I know, just, just, I know if we did a poll right now, I would say, who's your favorite? People will pick me. I just know that. So let's not, let's not just make this argument. I'm, no, I'm not even going to argue. I'm not going to fight you on it. You are the people's champion. And that is fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> and that is fantastic. Hello, everyone. I hope you're all doing well. Um, and I hope you enjoyed the last episode and, you know, got one or two chuckles out of it. So, yeah. And if you didn't, eh, well, what can we'll I say? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Today, we have a guest. Um, I'll let Chris introduce himself. I want to tell you why I know Chris. So, Chris is a colleague of mine. Um, we work together as a solutions architect. Um, and it was one random day in the evening during our first or my first team meetup because I was new to the team and it was dinner and then we just started talking about debt and money and Chris was just dropping bars like oh my gosh like I'm like how do you know all these things did you used to work in finance like no he's just interested in personal finance and then we had another we had another one-on-one again and then we just started talking about money and he told me about fire and i'm like okay you know what just hold your thoughts let's finish this conversation on the podcast and that's why we have chris here today i'm gonna let chris introduce himself Uh, thank you for that very uh Over, I don't know, very overwhelming introduction. Anyway, uh, Asia, thank you very much. Uh, so my name is Chris. I, as Asia mentioned, I work with Asia. Um, and personal finance is really, I would say, it's not a hobby, but it's a, definitely an interest of mine. Um, just understanding, you know, how, as an everyday person who doesn't work in finance, like how can I be financially independent? How can I be financially successful? Um, and how can that improve my quality of life? Right. So that's been something that I've been very interested in over the last, you know, seven to 10 years. Um, and I'm happy to talk to you about that today. Awesome. Welcome, Chris. Um, but before we dive, um, headfirst into finance, let us have the on my spirit segment. So Aisha, I would start with you. What do you have anything on your spirit today? Um, yes, I do. So it's that time of the year where we start doing home improvements. <laughs> <laughs> like finishing the one that we did not finish last year. <laughs> last year's summer. The one that's getting warmer. We are resuming it this year. Oh my god. And then you just start going around the house looking for what's not looking for you. you <laughs> spring cleaning. <laughs> You can yeah, exactly. yeah, spring cleaning. Spring cleaning. It's like, oh, I think we need to touch up the paint on this wall. Like it's a little 
old for my liking. <laughs> I think we need to brush up this place. How about we do change the curtains? Like, yeah, Something. anyways, with every new change comes, you know, money leaving your back account. <laughs> so in this episode of financial independence. So I guess this episode is right on time then. It's good for me because <laughs> fantastic. Yeah, that's always that's what's on my spirit. Um, so I guess what is on my spirit today is certifications. <laughs> certifications. <Why>? Let <laughs> me tell you why. <laughs> so the last time I wrote a certification exam was maybe beginning of last year, right? And I struggled mm-hmm. tooth and nail. I pulled my hair. I did everything and I passed. Look, I might have just scored like one point above the passing mark. A win is a win. Who cares? Who knows? A win is a win. But let me tell you what has happened since. Because this is really, honestly, between last year and this year, the, it's the one year period where I have really fallen off certifications. Usually I'm like, I try to be on top of stuff. But you see, when you start getting older, you just part of you starts caring less about these things and maybe it's me maybe it's me right let me let me not put it on everyone maybe it's me the older i get the more i'm like fuck this shit (laughs) but i'm on a project and we are using this tool the tool the company they are fairly recent on the market but they are really good um and within the company it is fairly new for us to implement and uh sell this tool to clients and so the goal is for everyone on the project to get certified before roll-off dates oh that's the end of april or something Uh uh-huh so i finally finished taking the training and let me tell you i did Ojuro for this training. I did some kind, <laughs> some kind magumago to complete this training. But the last piece is to take this bloody exam. Let me tell you how I know these people. When I read this part, this is how I knew that I was in for it, right? You click on the exam and this is what you see. You have five times. You get you get five attempts to take this exam, oh, right? Oh, fantastic. And then they go ahead to say, Please ensure to utilize all materials available to you. Training videos, um, vendor documentation, everything. You know that when people give you an open book exam, you're about to die. Because... Yes. Because (laughs) you're going to spend three quarters of the time trying to find the answers for these bloody questions. CISSP? Oh, I wish. I, uh, that would make more sense. That would make more sense if it was CISSP. No, this is like Delinea Secret Server Associate Exam. <sighs> Let me tell you, it's 100 questions. Oh, how many hours? Three. I have failed it three times. <laughs> oh, God. Did you? <laughs> you know, I used to think I was smart. <laughs> <laughs> I think I might have left part of my brain after masters because (laughs) talk about humbling experience. (laughs) Yesterday when I failed it the third time, I just shut my laptop, my laptop down, and I said, "Well, I'm going to go get my hair done, and uh, yeah, we would relax, we would have a good time, (laughs) take some chill drinks, and." Because life is for the living. Life is for the living. So, but you know why I'm so pained? I failed by five points. Oh, that hurts. Five yeah, points. It really hurts, yeah. 
And it's also crazy because like when you take a lot of the questions are like multiple answers, right? When you're doing the training and they give you a quiz, they will give you a hint as to how many answers are correct. So, you know, if out of the five, three are correct, two are correct in the exam, they don't give you that hint. So you don't know if some, some may look, maybe you, you select two and there's actually a third one that normally it's, it's a tricky exam is what I would say. And, um, I'm not even upset. <laughs> I'm just like, this is why I don't want to study for certifications anymore. Uh, mm-hmm. So that's what's on my spirit. And I wish this was the last certification I would take. But no, I have like three lined up. And my mentor is like, you need to start prepping for CISSP because, you know, consulting. And I'm like, I hate every last one of you. <laughs> yeah. I hate it. Because I'm, and I think what's very annoying when it comes to CISSP is... My master's program was still out for CISSP, but then CISSP, I couldn't just graduate and go take CISSP because you need five years. And so it's just like, okay, now that I've hit the five years over like past five years to go take the exam, you think I remember what I did in school then? Now I'm going to have to start studying. Like I have to give myself at minimum six months to study for the CISSP exam. It's very annoying. Um, but that's my spirit. That's what's on my spirit. I am tired of certifications. Girl. It is a necessary evil. I get it. But it also doesn't have to be so expensive. It's not like I'm paying for it, but yeah. <laughs> Listening to you, I'm just thinking how early retirement just sounds more and more attractive because I deal with certifications, but I feel like for me, because I work with Amazon and I just have to worry about, well, mostly not all the time, like Amazon certifications because I've not done all 12 because apparently there's a 12 over 12 sort of like level you get to. And I'm like, but the moment you do like the first two, first three certifications, like it's easy to do the rest. Easy, yeah. Mm-hmm. Easy, easy, yeah. To do the rest, you still have to study, but you kind of know how they ask questions, right? You kind of know the the flow, and then you just know how to study. And like, so for example, if I've done associate developer and sysops, and I'm going to do, I don't know, um, security specialty. It, it's not like too much of a far cry because many of the things I'm studying in security specialty some of it has kind of been touched in some of the other exams okay. and you're just trying to remember. So it's not as, it's not as intense like yours. Like, you know, right. I'm, the only yeah. vendor I'm worrying about is Amazon right now. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> and I guess the question around that too, um, does it help that you use, um, AWS on a day to day for the, for those exams? Oh, of course. <laughs> yeah. I figured, of course. I figured there yes. lies the problem, yeah. right? I, man, I have so many, too many certifications to take. And it doesn't help. And I think what makes it also very frustrating for me is um, about a year ago, I switched from security operations, which was like my bread and butter. I did that for like over four years and I switched to IAM. And now I'm feeling like, did I make a mistake with my life? Because all of these things just seem brand new. And it's it, it can be very frustrating. Yeah. But oh well. All right. I'll be retired soon and I will not need to think about that. So. Okay. <laughs> All right. Let's get into the episode for the day. You know, as we think about early retirement and all the things that Adrian has talked about, as I think about my early retirement, I'm just interested in like, I think if we just go around about like, why did you become like, what was that? Maybe I'll start with Chris. 
So what would, well, if, if we were to talk about like your background and how you, what was that turning point? What was that point when you became invested in finance and investing? Like what happened? Yeah. So I, I mean, I think I would, I would see it from two different ways. Um, or at least one way, but they're related. So I think it's, it's especially working in the IT space, you see the constant advent and, and, and maturity of technology. And now we got, you know, AI and, and generative AI. And it's like, I think I realized pretty early on in my career, I'm like, I, I'm expecting some pretty drastic changes to occur within my lifetime. And I probably don't ex- can't expect to stay in the same career or have a similar job um, without getting laid off, or maybe you know, maybe things will change drastically. Like if you think of like the industrial revolution, you know, and how quickly things have changed, right? From a jobs perspective, it's like I need to plan ahead, right? I can't count on having the same, a similar job in the field that I have, making this you know a certain type of income um, for my entire career, right? So it's kind of maybe that planning ahead, and and just in terms of looking at my life, um, and it, at the same time. I remember reading a quote somewhere online. I don't remember it is. And somebody was saying, you know, the thing that scares them the most is having to earn every dollar they will need in order to survive. And I was like thinking to myself, I'm like, well, what do you mean? How else do you get your money if you don't earn every dollar? Right. And I think that's kind of what started my path down towards like investing, personal finance, um, and, you know, how I started um, down that path. So. Even me, that gave me goosebumps. Like, okay, if I have to earn, like, yeah, it is. Scary, right? Adrian, what about you? Oh, how did I? Yeah, like how did you become interested in the topic of finance and investing? Uh, Even if you weren't an expert. I just say I was tired of being broke. <laughs> I was tired of being broke. <laughs> and I also at some at some point, I also realized that you you can make better financial financial decisions when you are educated about how finance works for example with like if you understand how credit scores are calculated how um interest payments on credit cards are applied you you start understanding how you know how to use your credit card wisely how to avoid paying like crazy interest rates on your credit cards when you use them and and things like that so i read a book i forget the name of the book now clever girl finance that's it mm-hmm. um i read that book and then i also started taking a course with uh mcgill university they offer a free financial course and pretty much basic education on how finance works especially because we, um, Aisha and I, we come from a country where we don't operate on the credit system. And so when you move here, you can get, um, Free it can money. get overwhelming and you can also have that con- a misconception of it's free money i remember watching a video on uh, i believe it was on tiktok and this girl it was very funny she's um caribbean and i think she had she's from jamaica specifically and she said when she first came to canada she <laughs> you know the concept of cashback so you go to a store you buy something and you say hey could you give me 40 dollars but they're giving you the 40 dollars from your account you are it's like instead of going to an atm you're saying hey i just need 40 bucks real quick and i'm buying this thing here can you add 40 dollars to my bill and give me 40 dollars in cash 
But she thought it was free money that when you buy stuff, you get money for free. So the first day she went in, she took $20. The second day she went in, she took $40. And she literally went home after the second time and created a list, like an Excel, like graph, plotting a graph to see like, how long do I have to do this before I become a millionaire? (laughs) And she had a date. And I think by the fifth day she went, they're like, uh, you don't have money in, in your account. And she's like, what do you mean I don't have money in my account? And the lady, the cashier had to explain to her how cashback works. That's actually Ooh. her money from her account. And so, um, when you come from countries that do not operate on the credit system, I think it's very important to take the time to learn finance, especially in relation to the country you're, you currently reside in so that you understand how what the best way is to to spend money or to invest or to make money or to save money. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's how I that's how I got into it. I think I think for me there are a couple of things that happened at the same time and emotion. First, I was owing too much money. Like so I come from Nigeria where I was brought up not to it's like not to have any if I'm holding somebody else's money, I don't have peace in my heart because I feel like it's, I feel like it's a liability I need to get rid of. So when I'm owing you money, I have to pay back or else I would not be able to sleep well at night, right? So I just got to the point, but yeah, like when I first came, the credit card, oh great, just the credit card. When I have the money, I'll put it back, not a big deal. Like, and, and I tried to make sure like, you know, I wasn't owing a lot of money, but then life happens as it's, as is with any like credit card situation, right? You'll be like, oh, just a little bit here, a little bit there. And before you know it, like your credit card is like 7K. I'm like, when? When? How? Why? Who? <laughs> like, what? <laughs> like, who spent this money? I'll be asked. Hello? Scotia Bank. Something's happening. So I was like, is it me? Me that's fine. No, it's kind of. So first, I was tired of like owing, owing so much money. And then it's not just like the credit card there. Sometimes it's the car. Sometimes it's like all the other things. And then again, life can happen. And then it's an emergency. And then I started like when we did that clever girl finance, you know, it's funny because you pay off, you, you, you read the book, you learn and you pay off some debt and then give yourself six months and then you're like back in it. And then you realize it's actually a mindset and it's a way of life that transcends just um attacking a, a a current problem like you know a debt or buying a house or whatever money goal you have and then i started listening to dave ramsey um so he has this thing called financial peace i started listening to him on like uh youtube and like how they have like this seven step program and I'll probably talk about it later and then i started being like okay i have bad money habits this one i've never gotten to investing it's just like dealing with bad money habits that is you know that is soaked in consumerism and and just like you know wanting to buy things that you can't afford now but you feel like oh you'll be able to pay back in the future but forgetting that the future comes with its own problems that also needs money right and <laughs> and then so that's when I, I started like to change my mindset or like i said to like really work on you know not just being solving like a death problem, but staying debt free at that particular point and not just solving the problem to go back and rack up more, more debts. Cause I now think about myself, like if I paid off this 7k debt, if I was not only 7k and it was my 7k in my account, 
if I even went to the Bahamas, at least I'm that I, I chopped life with my money and not paying off yeah. some stupid credit card. I know. So yeah, so that's that's for me how 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 it is. Yeah. So let's talk about financial freedom. So I sometimes sometimes I feel like maybe we should change this financial freedom because it feels like <laughs> but that's how i feel like i'm in shackles <laughs> I, I don't even feel like financial independence do it justice to the way like <laughs> to the way one can feel about uh, this topic it's a merry merry song get them shackles off my feet so i can so dance, I can dance. <laughs> <laughs> that's it no but really like that's that like so let's let's talk about financial freedom for a minute and what that looks like individually but like what are some of the ideologies that you probably use in your everyday life um when it comes to like being on that path to I, mean, I call it financial peace because that's what it gives me. It gives me peace to know that I'm not owing anybody money and my money is my money and for me alone and not for any bank or any credit store that I'm owing. But yeah, <laughs> Chris, do you want to go first? Yeah, sure. No, and I, I think that's a, it's an important question. It's like, what what does financial freedom or financial independence mean to you, right? So for, for me personally, it's really not being beholden to debts. It's not... It's me not needing to work because I owe somebody money. And what is the stress that that's putting on my life? You know, it's not worrying about layoffs that are going on at any particular time and constantly needing a job or there's a recession coming up. And, you know, what does that mean to me? It's okay. Well, you know, I can survive for a little bit. You know, it's, you know, I'll find another job. It might not be right away. It might be three months, six months, whatever it is, but, you know, being free that that to me is what financial freedom is right you know it has different meanings to other people you start talking to things like fire which uh, you know probably get into a little bit later um but for me personally it's just being able to get through life with minimal stress not needing to work because i absolutely have to work because otherwise i'm gonna be out on the street right like it's um it's just kind of stress it's a way of achieving a stress-free life Adrian, what does that mean for you? Um, so it's pretty much everything Chris said. Um, it's from, I, I guess in my words, it's me being, it would be the ability to break out of what I like to call the rat race or the rat wheel, that wheel, that hamster wheel of go, 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 go because because or else you'll be on the street, right? Or, or else you would not be able to eat or else your car would be repossessed. So for me, it is the ability to be able to stand outside of that wheel and say, I can pretty much do what I want to do. I can take a job if I want to take a job. I can, you know, walk, decide to work half a year and not do that again. To retire from nine to five and find other things that would form fuel my creative mind and also maybe bring in more money too, right? And have pa- some form of passive income. For me, that's financial freedom. To be able to, you know, not ha- to have zero debts and not be beholden to this corporate capitalist <laughs> structure and system. It, I feel like it takes something out of my soul a little bit every day. It is. Yeah, but financial freedom is, um, to me, it's the ability to step off 
the hamster wheel to get off. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. I think like, yeah, it's very important to define financial freedom for yourself because everybody's different. So for me, financial freedom is not owing anybody, but having enough to provide for myself and my family to live a good life. Um, and just, you know, sometimes like I can remember the, the time when I paid off, finally paid off my car. It just felt so good for those deductions not to happen every month. Like that, those deductions just stopped. Like now I can repurpose that money into something else. Right. Um, and just, just, just me feeling like I owe someone, it really takes the peace out of my heart. And like to the point where I'm like seeking therapy, like that's bad that. It's like, but you really know how to solve your problem. You just need to do it. And it's very hard. Like you, you get into some kind of financial habits or you don't know how to say no. Like it's for me, financial freedom is having very, having very good money or sorry, very good financial habits. Right. Um, and really just having peace every day, not being scared that, oh yeah, they're going to leave me up. Oh, cool, cool, cool. That's fine. I'll always get something else. And you want to get something, I'll drive Uber now, but I will be fine. Like nothing's going to change about my standard of living because I've already planned for that. Right. Um, and just not living in uncertainty and what ifs, right. And, and in fear. Right. So that's for me, it's, it's, it's financial freedom. Fantastic. Um, so what can we say how can people develop a healthy relationship with money that's a, i think that's an interesting question and I, th- I think the first way you want to tackle it is why do you want money like as a personal thing like have an understanding of why do you want money right for me money equals time it buys me time time is the only thing the only thing in this world we cannot get more of you can always we can get more cars, we can get more money, we can get more, you know, whatever it is. You can't get time back. So for me, and it goes back to my definition of what of what personal finance or financial, sorry, what financial independence or financial freedom means to me is, you know, the ability to live a stress-free life, to not be worried about a job. And that's essentially buying me time, right? I can take time off work. I'm not forced to go to work. I can take time off work to spend time with you know people I love, doing things I love. I can take time to travel. So that's what money means to me, right? So having that understanding of why you want money is probably the first step in, in terms of developing a healthy relationship with mm-hmm. it. Um, the next thing is you, you also want to be able to set goals, right? Like it's, it's one thing to just save and accumulate money, but what do you actually, why are you doing that? Because that's going to come back to how you actually stay focused as part of a plan, right? So you need to have your goals, Specific goals, short-term goals, long-term goals, um, and you know, work towards them. And really, the, the I guess probably the number one thing that's going to get in the way of that is debt, <laughs> <laughs> right? And I think that's been touched upon here uh, a few times. But debt is is really the thing that keeps you shackled to your job. It keeps you shackled in the way of doing what you want. Um, it's a, a way of essentially. Not necessarily, well, control in a way, right? Like it, it's, you're not going to take risks. You're not going to go and do something um, that could potentially make you lose your job or, right? Like just you're, you're, you're beholden to the paying that debt off, right? So, and it's so easy to take that, especially nowadays. Everything's a subscription, right? What is, you know, $5.99 a month? That doesn't look like much, but then you look at the end of the year, it's, you know, you do that yeah, 10 so. times. You, you've got all this little debt here and there, and then you got, you know, credit cards and, so just avoiding debt, 
setting goals and understanding why you actually want money. Uh, for me, that's that's the you know the three key, the three keys to you know starting to have a good relationship with money and investments. Dang, that's that's just, really uh, good. I'm just there, like, okay, yeah. should we continue? I was, I, was, I was about to start saying, should we, Aisha, should we get like pen and paper? Should we start writing? Like, I know we're recording, but at the same time, I feel like I should be doing something, right? Like, I, I should be taking notes or something. Um, well, it's it's a lot of self reflection too, right? It's like I'm saying I'm saying things that are you know it may sound obvious, but you have to think about it, right? Not everybody thinks about that. And, and to your point about pen and paper, don't pen and paper to say what I'm, to take down what I'm saying, pen and paper to write down your thoughts, what it means to you, right? Like that's, put that down, right? Create create your plan. And then you can start thinking of investments and all, you know, those longer term things. But, you know. Anyway. Yeah. I, I really agree when you say it's um, self-reflection, right? You have to self-reflect because, quick story, um, the, the time I paid off my debt, um, it took a lot. Uh, and let me tell you what my biggest fear and biggest hurdle was. It was actually sitting down and looking at my bank statements. That was my biggest fear. For Why the life of me, I would not do it. Why? Because I was afraid of what I would see and what that would say about me as a person. Hmm. And so I wouldn't do it until it got really bad. And one day I said, okay, cool. So I pulled all my statement, all my statements up. I pulled all my credits cards up i listed them put how much i put like due dates by each of them i got each card and i started going through okay what did i spend money on in the past month why am i paying for this what is this okay this has to go what is this this has to go what is this i haven't even used this in like three years why am i paying for it this has to go but it was so difficult to get to that point to actually sit down and look at it and say wow, I have, I'm really bad at spending money. And I think that was the biggest part. It was to admit to myself that I was not being um, prudent with money. I was buying things that I didn't need. I was buying things that once it arrived, I completely forgot I bought it. And so I really had to first come to terms with, okay, you, yes, yes, I am bad with money. And now, now that I've acknowledged that, how can I move forward? And that was what really helped. But it was so difficult to get there. It was really difficult. It took at least three months before I got the courage to pull up my bank statements. Wow. But how did it feel? How did it feel afterwards when you at least started making progress? It felt good. It felt like I just, it, it, it felt like I made a mountain out of a molehill. But it also felt really good to be on the other side of that fear and say, actually, this is not as bad as I thought. Okay, I can definitely do better. You know, I, I see, I see where a lot of money is going. I can do better. I can structure things better and be just like, okay, so now when I go into the store, do you actually need that? Or is it because it's on sale? Hmm. Yeah, no. And that's, I think that's getting into, you know, in terms of how you spend money, how you view money. Um, like for me, when I look at something, do I actually really need this? Or is it just like something I want? Is it an impulse purchase? Usually if, if I, it's like, you know, I'm looking at my TV right now, it's 10 years old. Mm-hmm. I could mm-hmm. use a nice yeah. OLED TV. <laughs> <laughs> do I really need that new TV, right? Yeah. So it's like, I'll, I'll sleep on it for a couple of days. And usually it's like, no, I, I, you know, this TV is fine. Right. So I'll look at it. And the other thing, the other way I'll look at it is like, how many hours do I need to work? Right in terms of the time, like 
for that TV or for that new car, right? Like what, especially if it's going to put me in debt, something that I'm going to have to work for the next year in terms of actual hours to pay off, right? Um, a lot of people, they look at pay, they look at items in terms of, yeah, I can afford that monthly payment, but not adding up cumulatively what that monthly payment is actually in terms of hours. And then you get into the whole investment side of things is, could you have been doing something better with that money? Um, and that's, you know, an opportunity cost. And we'll park that for now. But, you know, going back to your, your point earlier in terms of your debt and how you, you set, you, 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 you built a plan, right? You got the courage. And I think that's <laughs> yeah. an important thing, right? Yeah. You, you have to recognize that nobody's going to do this for you. Exactly. You can't put your, you can't put your head in the sand because the problems only get worse, especially if you're talking about things like credit card debt, which have very high rates, interest rates. That's going to compound and it's only going to get worse. So you got to, you got to tackle that head on, make a plan to your point, cut out whatever you is non-essential um, and write down and figure out for, you know, sp- spend a couple of months, look at, you know, every single thing that you are buying, write it down and see like, and you'll, you'll start saying, wait, you know, I'm spending, you know, $20 a day on these coffees. Do I really need to be doing that? Especially if you're in debt, right? Like you know, maybe I shouldn't be spending $20 a day on coffee. Maybe I should just be making my coffee at home until I clear my debt. Right. <laughs> like, um, right. So you start, you, that's just, you know, basic example, but, you write down, you made your plan. And let me ask you, how did you decide what items to tackle first? Did you look at from the biggest items, um, or the higher interest items? What? How, how did you so, plan that out? So I started with, first of all, I started with um, the most frequent items, right? So like I'm looking at my statement and I, I go with what keeps coming up and why does that keep coming up, right? So I'm seeing this statement and then I discovered one of the biggest ones was Uber. I was taking Ubers everywhere. Every, what I mean everywhere, I mean, I literally was not using my bus pass and I was paying monthly for that too. I was taking Ubers everywhere. And then I saw I was doing a lot of like takeouts, 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 takeouts. So I did, I did a really hard thing. I limited myself to one Uber ride a month mm-hmm. and I limited myself to one takeout a month, which meant I started cooking more. And it meant that if I needed to take an Uber, I really had to think about it. Do I need to take this Uber right now? Because you get just that one. Because one. this is the one. This is uh, this is the one. If if you're really tired from work tomorrow, you can't take it because this is the one. And I discovered at first it was really hard, right? Because like I said, every other day it was Uber. I was taking Ubers everywhere. But at that point, I'd also gotten to a point where I'm like, it's either you want this or you don't right? It's either you want to fix this or you don't. And so I, I cut that out. And surprisingly, it, I realized like two months later, I just, one random day, I'm like, wait, I haven't taken an Uber in almost two months. Huh? Good job. Good job. Because then I also realized there was no place I really wanted to go that necessarily meant I need to, I needed to take an Uber. Right? So I, it, I'm not someone who goes out all the time. So those Uber rides were mostly to walk like going to the office and back. And I'm like, I really don't need to do that. So what did I do? I bought a book and I'll read a book on my commute to the office. I started um, checking out books from the library. I would read the books on my commute. So the commute didn't seem like so like boring or what whatnot. And so those were the first things I tackled. Uber takeouts and Uber rides. I did that first. Right. Yeah. So it's, it's like you... you 
you you evaluated you know what truly was a need versus a want, and maybe even things that seemed like needs really were actually wants, right? So you exactly you evaluated that, and and the other important thing I heard there is you still gave yourself you know one takeout a month and one Uber ride a month, right? So you, yes, to me that's that's balance, because I don't believe right? in punishment, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's it, I don't think I have to necessarily punish myself to get something done. So I, at some point in that journey, I started taking it as a reward. So when I've done so good this month, I say, you know what? I've done so good and I haven't even used my takeout yet. I'm going to treat myself this weekend. I'm going to buy myself dinner. And it was fantastic, right? And oh, okay. And sometimes I actually would not take the Uber ride because I really didn't need it. Even if I felt like treating myself, I would be like, but do you actually need it to go where you're going? It's literally one one street car, one ride, one straight ride to where you need to be. And then I wouldn't take it. And it, it felt good. It felt really good. But in my journey, I knew that what the one thing that could discourage me really quick is if I had super strict, unflexible like rules for myself. Like if I said, oh, no more takeouts. I know myself like one day I would just get off work. I'll be feeling very frustrated and I'll say, fuck everything. And I would just splodge. And then it would be a splodge. It would no longer be like, I'm trying to be, it's like retail therapy. I'm just going to like, okay, I don't care anymore. Let the world burn. That would be me. So I had like to your, give your myself something. When you're dieting. Exactly. Right? Like it's, you, you have, you got, and I agree. Like you have to have balance. It's hard to go cold turkey on anything because it's going to be hard to stick to a long-term financial plan. Um, or long, at least in this case, like if you're going cold turkey, it's going to be hard to stick to cutting out everything because you're essentially just depraving yourself of yeah. of, of everything. And that's a hard, it's a hard way to live. I agree. Um, how did you like, okay, so you tackled your, you tackled, you cut things out, you tackled the debt. Did you start looking at investing with now that you've, you've, you had tackled the debt or? So I did for a while and this is, this is where I started falling off. Right. I did. I started looking at like, at the time everyone was talking, everyone was saying like buy stocks, buy stocks, which I still think it's a good idea, but you have to know what you're doing. Um, and then I registered for one class that was, uh, there's this lady, uh, I think, I don't know if I still follow her. I used to follow. She's based in the US. It's, uh, I forget what it's called, but she does, her whole thing is like investing, like trading, really. And so she did this five basic classes and I took, let me rephrase that. I did not necessarily, I, I participated in the classes to an extent because at the same time I was really ill and I had to do surgery, like just when the classes were starting. So it was like iffy and I never really got back to them. And so, and <laughs> that's something that started hanging. It's like, oh, I need to go back and finish these classes so I can start investing because I had bought like a few stocks, stocks before. And then it's like, oh, okay, uh, next weekend I will start. And then next weekend I will start. And then next, and so I never really got into like investing because it's and now investing is something that still s- sounds and still sounds like this like mountain. Like people talk about it. I'm like, okay, yeah, yeah, you do this, you do this, but you're not still breaking it down to a level where I can fully understand how that works or how to get into it. Because it's one thing to understand like, okay, you can buy stocks, you can trade, you can look at the market, you can monitor it and then you can decide, okay, if I, if I sell now, I'll make a, I don't know, a couple extra dollars, maybe a hundred dollars on each stock and I'll just sell 10 of these stocks, whatever. Um, you could do that. 
but then you you never really know okay so how do i know how to look at good stocks what do i do there how do you how do you pick this this stocks right and so um i kind of put that on the back burner and i haven't gotten to that but what i did do because i felt like i needed to do something was um there's this app called i think now it's called mocha i forget what it was called before the names have changed like three times since i've been using it and pretty much what it does it's 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 an investment app kind of but what it does is so you can set how much you want it to take every week right from your account every time you make a transaction with the account or the card you tie to this app say you buy something that is three dollars fifty cents it takes the 50 cent it rounds it up like so it takes 50 cents to round up to four dollars it takes that 50 cents add it to the account it has going for you and it's investing that money for you. So it's almost like a, uh, I don't want to call it a lazy way, but an easy, a beginner's way to to do some form of savings slash investment where it's like, right. you kind of just, it's just a way. So I have like a goal there and I have actually cashed out some money there a couple of times, to be fair. Um but yeah, so I, I've just had that going. I, I think outside of that and like company stocks that I do through through work, that's that's, that's the extent of my investments right now. Yeah. So, so let me let me pose a question to you and Asia here. What are you looking at investments for? What's your goal? Are these are you investing for something in particular? Like what? And coming back to what I was saying before about setting goals, what are your investments? Because that's going to determine what you invest in, how frequently you're trading, um, you know. So I, I, be, I mean, I'm curious to hear what your answers are. I don't think, I think when I invest, I'm thinking how can I safely and consistently make my money work for me? And I only invest money like I can lose or I forget about it. But like to the point where I forget about it and I don't know, five years later, I'm like, oops, ah, I actually have that 2000 there from that, you know, ETF fund, you know, and they've paid me dividends of like, I don't know, 20 bucks. I don't know. So I like, so that for me, like, I guess to always have a good, like, but before then, when I used to invest, when we wanted to buy a house, it was like, okay, what can I invest in that I will not lose any money, but can give me some interest because I want to save for a down payment for the house. Right. Now for us, it would be because like, so I'm doing this thing called the Ramsey, um, the Ramsey seven steps. And I'm at, you know, the, the first step is like you pay, you, you have a 1000 emergency fund. The second step is like you pay off your debt, snowball, start with like just snowball your debt and all that. And the third step is saving three to six months. Um, so I'm almost done. I just have one more major debt to pay. And then the next thing would be, to save three to six months emergency funds, which is a lot of money when you have a house. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's a lot of money. So, so for me, if I'm investing, it would be, and for that purpose of emergency fund, it would be something that is easily accessible where the money is not like, where it's not volatile, it's not a volatile kind of like, um, investment, right? Maybe, yeah. So that, that would be it for me. I think that's you hit on some some good points there, right? It's it's understanding what's your risk tolerance for that particular investment, right? So you're not going to go and invest your down payment in some very risky things, right? Because <laughs> you need that you need that money in the short term. It might be one year, it might be three years, um, 
But if you know the stock, a stock market can drop over you know a ten year period, that's not unheard of, and you don't want your down payment, what you were planning on using in the next year, to be you know thirty fifty percent less, you know whatever it may be, um, right? Exactly, that can delay some some plans you had, right? So it's it's important to understand what you're investing for. So if you're investing for retirement, that's 30, 40 years away. Yeah, maybe you can, in theory, put that into something that's a little bit more risky, um, but that that's going to weigh into more of an emotional aspect of, can you personally handle seeing that drop by 30 to 50% um, without making any bad decisions? Because it was interesting, something you said there in terms of you put some money in an account and maybe you forget about it. Um, interesting fact, I think it was, uh, I remember reading it online that some of the best investors are those that either have forgotten that an account exists and they, you know, they just don't touch the account or they're dead. One of the two. <laughs> but, you know, it's, you know, reason being because they're not looking at the account. They're not, and, you know, if they're not looking at the account. They're not seeing that it's dropped by 30% or, you know, whatever it may be. And they're not making trades and they're act- reacting emotionally to that, right? So whenever you're investing in, you know, assuming you're investing in, good things um you know it's important that you stick you build the plan you stick to the plan you invest continuously right it means year after year whatever that however whatever the frequency you've determined whether it be monthly yearly whatever that is stick to that plan do it continuously um and don't react that you know hey things have dropped 30 percent like we all remember like two years ago um the beginning of COVID, things dropped pretty big right how many people pulled their money out of their markets and, you know, markets re- recovered. Um, just, you know, you got to, you got to kind of be ice cold, right? Like uh, be unemotional because you're your own worst enemy at that point. Right. Um, it has happened to me before with crypto. So this is why you should not invest in anything that you don't understand. So I yeah. bought some crypto. Like I said, if it's, and... you're investing in good things and you, know, you may or may not have different <laughs> feelings on crypto. <laughs> Depending on what you bought. Yeah, I was just going to say. Best time, I think the best time to buy crypto was in the very beginning or close to the very beginning. Not when crypto became like 50k or 100k. Anyways, I I, had, I did lose some money with, with crypto. Like I said, I was like, I forgot about it. And I always make sure I don't invest anything. Like, like, it's not something that if I lose, like my heart will skip a bit. Like, you know, I was like, okay, you know what? That's money. Like I just dashed somebody and, you know, it's gone. It's gone. Um, but yeah, just like, ah. So let me let me ask you a question here. So we uh, you mentioned about picking stocks and not knowing what stock to pick and whether it's going to be a good stock. How how would you go about picking stock? If I asked you today to tell me what were the two top performing stocks in the last decade, so from like the 2010s, what were the two best stocks? What would you have picked? In, you know, even in hindsight, would you know? Probably not. I sure as heck no, wouldn't. No, no, no. No. I just I looked it up before. Two top stocks, Netflix and Domino's Pizza. No Domino's. <laughs> right? Yeah. Wow. Both of them went up like three or four thousand percent over that, that decade. Wow. Huge numbers, right? Like it's yeah. but here and so here and so the point the point I'm making is people suck at picking stocks, especially over a long term. You might do it good for a period a point a period of time. You might have some really good trades, but m- most people even people who do that for a living, investment advisors, hedge funds, they can't do it continuously. It's it 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 usually they're going to underperform. So 
and the way you measure that is you measure that against uh, an index, right? So you have a, like something like the S&P 500, which you may have heard of, which is, think of it as a, it's an index. It's a basket of stocks that tracks the largest companies in the US, right? So and that's usually your benchmark for measuring performance. Um, and you can buy index funds, the ETFs, index funds that track that index, right? So it'll mirror what whatever the 500 companies are, it'll mirror that. Um, so historically, um, buying an ETF that mirrors the S&P 500 actually outperforms hedge funds or people who are picking individual stocks over the long, long term, right? And I think of an example of Warren Buffett, right? Very famous investor, the Oracle of Omaha. He had a bet with a hedge fund that over a period, of, I think it was 10 years, that that hedge fund would not be able to beat an index fund that just mirrors the S&P 500. And he won the bet. Um, hedge fund was not able to do it, right? So I think it goes to show the people who are smart and who do this for a living, even they have have trouble beating something as basic as an index fund uh, and picking the, those right stocks. So for your everyday average investor who doesn't have access to all this research and all this, you know, and do, can do actually do this for a living day in and day out, um, your easiest way to get started is just to buy yourself an index fund that tracks the market, uh, uh, not just the U.S., but track should track multiple markets because even U.S. markets can yeah. over can have bad yeah. years as well, right? So um, that's the and probably the easiest way to get started. And you're always going to have a high collection of quality companies, uh, sorry, a large collection of quality companies, and you're going to sleep well at night because even if one of them went bankrupt, um, so it like doesn't matter to you because you got, you're, you're owning like, the whole yeah. market. Yeah, right? yeah. Not one individual company. You're not owning just Nortel Networks, um, which, uh, you know, if uh, any of your listeners will remember in the early 2000s, you know, uh, was doing really well and then went bankrupt. Belly up. Right? So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, that's a good one. I know I do have a, a couple of ETF stocks. Um, yeah, I think that was my mistake to just put stuff in ETF because I remember then I'll be like, ooh, Sniplex. Oh, they're going to come back. People are watching movies. The stock is, the stock is cheap. I think, well, I think you could do that. I don't think that's, uh, I think that's still a like calculated risk, but yeah, I, I guess it depends. Yeah. On. I'm like, if you're a bigot, like, like someone like me who has absolutely no, no knowledge about finances, like, like stick to like, but again, there's also multiple ETFs, right? There's like the real estate ETFs, there's, there's SRP, there's, there's an ETF for everything. There's ETF for sustainability. Yeah, there's an ETF for anything. And then you're like, so do you invest in every, like as much as you can? Or do you pick like five different like ETFs and just, and just heavy on them? Or you spread your risk? Like that's, I guess, the question. Do you spread your risk or do you con concentrate? concentrate your risk and then get maybe better return as a result of that. So let me ask you, how, how would you know it's going to be better returns? No, that, that's right. So that's the thing is you don't, right? So you might be thinking, okay, I think this year real estate ETA, real estate in general is going to outperform. Maybe it might, like you would have to really know that it's going to outperform this year just because it maybe did really good last year. Doesn't mean it's going to be this year. I'm just picking that as an example, right? So personally, and I said, I have no financial training or knowledge, so don't listen to anything I'm going to say. That being said, this is mm -hmm. my opinion. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, usually, you know, you can't use past performance to predict the future, right? You, you, so I personally balance across 
all industries, multiple countries, um, to in order to diversify the risk. Right. Um, historically, like I said, that's usually outperforms um, picking an individual stock. Um, you know that might, in those, in, you might have certain stocks that outperform that are out going to perform, but you have to be able to pick that right stock consistently every time, um, and that's just really hard to do. Um, Imagine if I knew to buy Amazon or Microsoft stock in the year two thousand. Like, yeah, right. Hindsight, you is know, 20, 20. That, that would be called like insider trading if you knew at the time. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But that's interesting. It's just like if we had known to buy, like, um, if I had known to buy like, Shopify stocks at the start of the pandemic, mm. you know, because that's when it took off. But then also it came back down. And that was or my Zoom point. when oh. you just buy and sell at the appropriate time. Yeah, it's, um, well, exactly right. If you would buy and sell at the appropriate time, you got to know when to get off the train. Right, so you got to make that tra- you got to make the trade the right trade twice consistently, and that's that's really hard to do. Um, and like I said, that's you know people are always their own worst enemy. They always try to what's called time the market. They think they can outsmart everybody and execute their trades at the right time. And and historically, that's the wrong thing to do because you know they get emotional. They think, oh, I think the market's going to go down. Let me pull out my money now and I'll rebuy later. I think it'll be cheaper, and maybe that never happens. Right. So interesting study. So fidelity. Um, did a study of the S&P 500 performance. So hypothetically, if you were to take $10,000 in the year 1980 and invest it in an S&P 500 fund in 1980, what would you think that would be as of, I'm just looking at it, the, you know, March 2022, right? So last year. So that's about a 40-year period. What do you think that would be if you left that invested? $10,000 for 40 years in the S&P 500 and assuming you're you're reinvesting dividends and things, um, any any guess? Fifteen million. I wish. Whoa, <laughs> um, Whoa ten thousand. So I ten thousand to fifty million would be. I don't know. One 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 point two million, right? So that's you know. Oh, okay. That's very. I think that's very like very fair, reasonable, right? Fair, like 10, fair. Yeah, yeah, Over yeah, a forty-year yeah. period, and you're just seeing the yeah. without you know without having to buy and sell and things, sell, right? Like, okay. $1.2 million, just, you know, reinvesting the dividends. And, you know, realistically, if you're get, if you're working, you're going to be continuously adding to that. So maybe True. you'll get to the $15 million, <laughs> right, right? Over that period of time. But let me ask you another question here. So for the, and this is, I'm, this is, you know, part of the study they did. For the people who missed the 50 best days in that 40-year period, right? So the best, the days that, you know, they were the, there was the most returns, right? The stock market's open almost every day. Um, the 50 days, so less than two months worth of the best days in that 40-year period. How do you think things have changed for that for that one, compared to 1.2 million? Wow. Uh, How do you think? 200. $90,000. What? So if you if you took your money out of the market and missed the 50 best days because you thought you were going to outsmart the market, that $1.2 million becomes $90,000. <gasps> My chest. That's that's a huge difference. That's that's yeah. the difference between retiring early and retiring comfortably versus stressing about retirement. Right? So I think it just it's really just driving home the point I was saying earlier, the people who do best are the ones who don't touch anything, who ignore what's happening and who just stick to their plan, invest in good quality companies. 
and just stick to their plan every month, whatever that may be, and just continuously make their investments and tune everything out. Right? That those are the people who are going to be most consistency and not trying to take things out because you know people people who who pulled thing who pulled out in March 2020 and maybe never bought back in. Um, you know, you you've sold at a loss, and you know if the market goes back up, now you've missed it. And now you're turning your your ten thousand dollars instead of being one point two million is only going to be ninety thousand dollars, right? Like um, hindsight is twenty twenty. We're looking at this data, but this data doesn't lie, right? Like it's yeah. So what's the best way to invest then? So I personally use Wealth Simple, um, and I use my I try to use my TFSA. It's not like it's yeah. maxed out or anything like that. Um, but like I use my TFSA, but I try to buy those like you know stocks or funds manually like you know based on my, my very limited information but before then like i know i used to do one through my bank where they charge you a fee and they just deduct like every i don't know whatever you tell them monthly or bi-weekly and then they invest that money for you um and you know whatever is based on your risk right is the self one better than the bank or the it's now insurance companies actually sell cash fund type insurance where they invest a portion of like your your payments in in funds but that's a different i call them IRAs. that's a different that's a different topic altogether but like what's the best way do you yourself with well simple or any of some similar like type apps or just go to a financial institution talk to financial advisor and get on your plan and this answer is going to differ depending on the type of person and by being that, by that is you know somebody who's able to st stick to their plan or not, right? So the most people will go to their bank and open up a, an account, uh, you know, an RSP, a TFSA account, and they'll the bank will put them their money in a in a mutual fund of some kind, and that's you know that, that's for most people. Now the one thing, and that, you know that's fine. I'm not, not going to say there's anything wrong with that. The one thing to be aware of is typically those funds have higher um, fees. Right, usually you know somewhere in the 1.5 to 2 percent range, and that's that's you know fairly high, right? The higher the fees, generally it's eating the returns. Now, especially if you're, if they're just buying you an index fund of some kind, well, you you know that's tracking the market. They're not really doing anything special there. Uh, it's tracking the market. Most companies will offer a similar product, so a two percent fee for that is really just going to eat into your returns, right? So you got to think even a two percent fee, you need to get even higher of a return. Yeah, two percent a year. So if inflation is two percent, and then there's a two percent fee, that's four percent. You need to at least you got to do at least a four percent return just to just to break even, <laughs> mm. right? Mm. So it, it's it's really important to keep fees low if you can. So well, I do think you know going to a bank and doing a mutual one there that's a good place to start. Probably not the best from a longer term perspective. Um, there are you know the robo advisors which have. Kind of come onto the market in the last ten years or so. You mentioned Well Simple, um, you know. They, I know they have one. I know RBC also has a robo advisor type platform. Um, those are really good in the sense that they're automated, and they're going to give you something similar in terms of they're going to give you a collection of ETFs, a diversified, uh, you know, building a diversified portfolio for you based on your your risk tolerance, and they're going to allow you to continuously, automatically invest. Right, and the benefit of that is their fees are usually much lower. So they're usually in the instead of a two percent fee, they're usually around a, a 0.5 to 0.6 when you factor in like the ETF fees and everything. Right, so it's significantly cheaper. Um, but 
in either case, the most important thing is to get started in an automated way, right? You don't want to, I, I don't think it's good for people to have to manually do it because then they're putting thought into it. And when you have to think about things, you can, you're going to have to get, you might get emotional about things. Do I want to buy this month? I think things are down. I don't feel comfortable. I'm not going to do it, which goes back to our point of consistency, right? So the automated platforms who are just automatically buying you a good diversified portfolio every month, no matter what, um, for me, that's the right way to get going. Keeping the fees low is especially important. Um, so, you know, if you find a platform like that, you know, whoever it may be, um, that's, that's the way I would go to get started. Interesting. Good to know. The other thing there is, is also the type of account, right? So we, you know, we mentioned the TFSA, the RSP, understanding what account to use and when, um, is also important, right? So uh, I think a lot of people, they, they also don't understand what's the difference between these types of uh, accounts and they might just even just go and open up a, a non-registered account. Um, and meaning that it's, you're going to pay, it's not neither a TFSA or RSP. It's just a, you know, a unregistered account or some institution. I made that mistake account. too. Yeah, exactly. Right. So it happens because we have all these different options. And now we have the, the new, the FHSA, the new account they just started in the last first week. home savings, home account. savings account. Exactly. Yeah. Which is, so, I mean, maybe we'll spend like a minute just kind of giving an overview of what these accounts do. That'd be useful. So RSP. Uh, it's been around at least as long as I've been born, but that's your your registered retirement savings plan. Um, essentially, you put money into that account, and at the end of the the end of the year, or when you do your taxes, um, you tell the government on your tax return how much money you put into the, into that account, and it allows you to deduct that from your income. Right. So as usually most people, they'll get a check back from the government, you know, as a tax return because they've effectively lowered their taxable income. Um, any of the dividends or any of the gains within that account are now not taxed while they're growing. But eventually when you start drawing down from that account, when you start taking money out in retirement, that's when you pay tax on that money, right? Now, the important thing here, and I've, I've talked to a few people about this, is they think that tax return they get when they put money into the RSP, they get that tax return back. They think that's free money from the government. It is at mm -hmm. that point in time, but you need to be aware of the fact that you are going to pay later that money back. It might be 50 years down the road, but you're going to have to pay that tax money back, right? So, you know, don't just necessarily go blow that on a new OLED TV. Um, <laughs> this is what I have to convince myself, right? So um, just be, be aware of that, right? So you put RSP, you put money, you put before tax dollars in because you get that money back, um, but eventually you will pay tax when you take the money out, right? Um, TFSA is a little bit different. The TFSA you put in after tax dollars, right? So you, you, you pay tax on the money, you put the money in, all the dividends, all the capital gains, there's no tax on it. And, and there's no tax when you take the money out as well, whenever that may be, right? You should, so this should be where you're, you're getting your heavy growth in because you're never gonna pay tax on this money. If you put a $10,000 in and it grows to 1.2 million, 40 years from now, anybody. Well, you, you just got basically $1.2 million free, uh, tax-free. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Uh, so that, that's a really good account that you should be using. Um, between those two accounts, you should, if you're making, let's say, less than $100,000 a year, you should probably be prioritizing the TFSA. Why? Because the return that you're going to get from the RSP 
um, it's not very much like it, you're better. Like it's you're going to get a return from it. It's going to be. It probably won't be huge. Um, the idea of the RRSP being that you should be using it when you are in a higher income, uh, when you're earning higher income, right? So let's say more than a hundred thousand dollars, because when you do have to take the money out forty years from now, you're not going to be earning an income. You should be at a lower bracket, so the money that you're taking out should be taxed less, right? So that's generally how you should be prioritizing your accounts. Under 100,000, prioritize your TFSA first. If you manage to fill it up, great. Then yeah, use your RSP. That um, was very and- hard for me though to like to because for me when I came I, in the beginning because I was trying to save for a house as well, it was like oh max out your RSP as much as possible because you can take money out of RSP as a down payment for the house to buy the house, yes. right? But can yes. you take out right. everything though? Uh, thirty thousand ish, I believe. There, there I is think a limit. A maximum, there's a limit. Yeah, yeah. there's a there thirty thousand limit. limit. Yeah, um, but then for me at that point, I was like, so even after doing that and buying the house and you know moving on from that, it still felt very strange to read because it's like, oh, this is my retirement income. Like I have to do retirement now, but in the sense that it's like only pay what your employer is willing to match, and everything else should actually be going to tax free savings account like so if an employer matches two percent one percent match that so that you get that match because the employer basically match that's what i heard right and then prioritize like to your tfsa because then that's tax free like that was a very hard concept like tfsa but that's not retirement but like it's like no but it's your after tax dollars that is your money regardless of what happens so yeah it was hard for me to switch gears and be like oh but so it has to be rsp max 15 percent. but no if i actually maxed only three percent of my employer and take the remaining 13 percent and put it in tfsa it actually makes sense for me long-term tax-free than an rsp yeah and you raised a really good point there and i maybe i should i should make that distinction there when you have a pension plan from your company that is giving you a hundred percent max uh, sorry match and if that's going to rsp yeah always take advantage of that first Right, you will never get a better return than a 100% match. Like that's very, pretty much impossible yeah. to do. So if that, like, it, not all companies call that an RSP. Sometimes it's in, in their uh, DCPP. Like, it's really going to depend on the company. If you get, if you're lucky enough to get a pension plan, um, a lot of people these days aren't. But if you are, yeah, 100%, take advantage of that first, um, and then you know, choose whether you want to do an RSP or TFSA. After that, to your point, only use the pension plan match that you have to. Um, to get to the max contribution that they'll give you, uh, and then yeah, decide RSP or TFSA, you know, depending on what makes sense for you. Then we have the new account, the FHSA, uh, which essentially combines both an RSP and a TFSA together. It just launched it on April first, so like this is like brand new. Most institutions even haven't rolled it out yet; only some have. Um, but it's meant for people who have not yet purchased a property. Um, it allows they allow the government will allow you to save. $8,000 before tax. So kind of like an RSP, you put money in, it'll up to $8,000 a year um, for I believe five years. So it's a $40,000 max after five years. Um, you put you put the $8,000 in, you can you can take it off your, your income, but then it kind of works like a TFSA. You can take the money out afterwards to buy the house without having to pay um, tax on the growth when you take it out. Like So it's kind of like a mix between an RSP and the TFSA um, for the purchase, for the point of purchasing a property. Um, so that's a new account that you should be taking advantage of as well. Probably even do that one first. If you, if you don't own a property, planning on buying a property, you'd probably do that before the TFSA, just because you get the benefits of both the RSP and TFSA there. Interesting. 
Wow. Yeah, I feel like we've been I've been schooled. I've learned a lot. Um, <laughs> For sure. But, <laughs> yeah, I I think do we want to switch gears a bit? Um, I'm very. I'm just wondering, like, how do you balance your short-term financial needs with long-term investment goals? And I'm gonna give myself as an example, right? I so I said I was going through the seven-step program, and you know, actually, the the step program grows like this. You have a 1K emergency fund. Number two is pay off all your consumer debt, except your mortgage. Number three is have three to six months um, um, emergency fund. Number four is investing, and that's investing in your TFSA and your IRSP in the ways we've talked about before. And But sometimes it's very hard. Like A part of me is like, oh, I need to invest. Like I need to invest now. But a part of me is like, oh, well, I still have that debt and it's a service. Um, you know, life happens, you know, and I guess that's why you need emergency funds and stuff like that. But like, there's always that, it always feels like the, the, the needs of now versus the potential of the future are always at loggerheads. And you always, like, every point in time, you're always trying to make the call between, oh, I need this car now versus trying to save that money and invest for my future or invest, sorry, not maybe not future, but like just invest the money for like a return. Um, so like, how, how would you typically balance that? So it, it, the, the, I, so those seven steps, the Dave Ramsey seven baby steps, those are, those are actually pretty well thought out, right? So let's, let's maybe use that as a starting point, right? Like, so it's, he says a $1,000 starting fund. And I would maybe expand that to like, maybe like one, a one month, depending on, you know, what's your cost of living, but like a one month, um, emergency fund, right? Like you need to be able to get through, you know, any short term immediate, um, emergencies, right? So in, in Toronto, 1,000 isn't going to cover much. It's not so, going to do anything, yeah. you know, <laughs> you know, one, one month is probably pretty good. If you have debt, if you don't have debt, then, you know, maybe you can do the three months, right? But so this, you start off, if assuming you have debt, yeah, you get, you get your, you know, $1,000, you know, one month, you know, whatever that may be of, of emergency fund. But from there, you need to for, forget about paying off like for sorry, forget about investments for retirement. You need you need to tackle that debt head on, right? Now, and and the Dave Ramsey steps it talks about the snowball method. Um, there's also which essentially it, you, you're looking at what are this is the smallest debts that you have. So forget the mortgage, but like from a you know from your other debts like you know car or credit card. What's the smallest debts that you had you have, and start you know you make your minimum payments on all of them, but you you focus most of your excess money on the smallest debt. And the reason why that's recommended is because you get to cross something off a list, right? And there's a mental and an emotional aspect to that. Um, the other method and what may probably makes more mathematical sense is to tackle the higher interest ones first. Um, but it, it, you're not going to, that might take longer to do, right? You, it, it might take longer to, 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 to pay off the higher interest run. So you don't get that emotional aspect of completing things. So it, I think it really depends on you as a person. If, you, if you're the type of person who needs to see that progress sooner in order to kind of continue with the plan, probably the snowball method um, would be the right way to go to start paying off that debt. Uh, but otherwise, the you know paying off the larger interest first mathematically would, would make more financial sense. But that's what you need to do. It's like you, you forget investing for the future. It's, it's pay off your debts. Because <laughs> like, that, 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 that will compound. Um, as much as possible, uh, if you don't, if you don't stay on that, um, you know, once you're done with the debts, then you can start looking at the investments, right? 
you know, we've talked about, you know, how to, you know, some basics of how to invest already, uh, but you generally want to do, yeah, at least 15%, um, the, you know, if you can, and it also depends on your age that you're starting at, right. And, and what you actually need to retire. If you're starting at 20 years old, yeah, 15% is probably okay because you have a longer time to invest. A dollar invested at age 20 is going to be worth probably pretty close to $5 invested at age 45, right? Because money invested, just like debt, money invested also compounds, right? So a dollar invested earlier is going to be worth more than a dollar invested later, right? So um, if you're investing later, yeah, you're going to have to probably invest more than 15% in order to catch up to the 20 years that you, of growth that you might have missed because you're kind of starting later, right? So uh, that's why it's important to make, you know, to kind of, you, the decisions you make earlier in life is going to impact, you know, things later on as well, right? So um, clear the debt, start, and then you start investing, you know, 15% at least if you can um, in order to get to your, your investment goals. Um, I know he also talks about, you know, things like a college fund for kids. If you have kids, uh, just to try and keep them um, out of debt, which is, yeah. you know, very nice. Um, counter argument would be, I think kids should understand the value of money and not just having things paid for them as well. Exactly. Uh, but that's maybe a different, a different uh, <laughs> argument that we don't necessarily need to go into. Um, but you know, the other thing is then you can pay, focus on paying off your mortgage. Mortgage is usually is going to have a lower interest rate than things like cars or um, a credit card, right? So you, that's kind of a less impact, like less important. Um, so you can, you can be focusing on that at the same time as, you know, investing, uh, putting money into your investments as well. Um, what do you think? What, what was the method that you used, um, when you were paying things off? Like once you had finished your investments, did you, uh, sorry, your, your debt, did you switch into investments or trying to pay down the house quicker? Or me or Adriel? You, you said, me? said house. I never knew. <laughs> I'm, still, I'm still paying off debt. Um, but actually, I actually do catch myself feeling like, oh, I have $30 extra. Let me just buy this ETF fund. And just, I still can't, like, catch myself doing that because there's this formal, like, oh my gosh, like, I have to be investing in something, anything, right? But so it's just, Paying debt and paying debt, like, yes, I like the peace, but like, it feels like I'm also missing out. So, yeah, so, I mean, paying off the house is like the second to the last thing, to be honest. It's like, I, like, I think the major, pro major challenge after paying off debt is that three to six months, six months, I'm going six months emergency fund. Like, it's, that stuff racks up. Like, that's, like, it's a huge amount of money. And it's really in Canada, like you said, 1000 doesn't do anything, right? Like, you know, people are, I was speaking to a friend yesterday and he's like, like he, when he was renting his monthly, cause he has a family, two kids, now it's three kids. When he started out, like his monthly, like monthly, what he would calculate for emergency phone was like, like four, four, five, four K five. And now with the house, with another kid, it's like 10 K every month. And then just multiply that by three or by six. It's almost like mind boggling. Like, like how long is it going to take me to save that kind of emergency fund? Right. And when is it too much versus when is it like, okay. Right. And I think some people go as far as, you know what, if like, you know, some, the Ramis say like, if you're paying your mortgage and it's more than, I think it says 45%. I think that's the word. Or some people use that 3%. Then sell the house. <laughs> sell, sell it. Tear the house. Take it's it out. It's not an asset. It's a it's liability. Not, it's killing you. Just sell it. 
and downsides to something that is within that 45 or 33 percent um but yeah yeah that's that's where that's where i'm at So in the past, what were some of the mistakes that you've like you you've made when it came to finance? Like you talked, you mentioned briefly about like you know you investing in your non-registered account, which was neither the TFSA RSP. It's an account that you're going to pay tax in, so that's probably the wrong thing to use if you have room in your your other accounts. What were some yeah. of the other mistakes that you made? Investing in IRS, putting more like getting like my like I'm literally that person. I used to be that person where like I nearly exceed my limits for IRSP contribution and my TFSA is like it just keeps piling I'm like how the hell am I going to meet TFSA like IRSP because for me like short-term gain is like anybody is like more important right because for IRSP I'm reducing my tax bracket at work so if they take that out the taxes that gets deducted is even less it's like I'll take that now versus them taxing me on all that money and you know putting in it in a tfsa right so for me it was something i had to unlearn and it was unlearning it not even to invest in tfsa it's like tackle the debt first like just close your eye however painful and just bulldoze all the debts and if that means and it, that means for if you're doing tfa rsp contribution and your employer was mad, just do exactly what they're matching Everything else should be going to your account for you to service your debt. Not like that. That's where we, that's come the mistake I think most people make is you, you know where you want to get to, but then you're like, okay, I'm going to do 30% here, 20%. Here, so I'm going to, I'm going to make sure I'm contributing to retirement. At the same time, I'm going to make sure I'm trying to pay the debt. At the same time, I'm going to try and make sure I'm trying to save an emergency fund. Like you just, it's just almost, you, you feel like you're not making any progress. And then you would end up just like being like, nah, this isn't working. Versus just, Take it one at a time. And if it means it's almost like you have this pot of money, divert it to one problem at a time, solve the problem, then take that pot back, put it in another problem and just go one by one, step by step. There's no need for, which is for me, there's no need to try to do everything at the same time. We'll do our recipe here. I'm going to do depth here. I'm going to do emergency there. But, 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 nah, there's no need to try to do everything at the same time, which is one mistake. Yeah. <laughs> I had to. <laughs> I had to unlearn. Oh, that, that that's good. Um, it makes me realize that uh, when I when I was trying to pay off my debts, it, just hearing the conversation just made me realize that actually the right way. I I think I I think I did because um, although to your point, Aisha, I still was putting money aside <laughs> in savings, but it was it wasn't like I was putting a lot of money. So I have. For example, for like my TFSA, there's a particular amount that leaves every time a paycheck hits my account, right? So those are not considered like money that it's almost like money that you forget about, but not really. It because it is set to remove a certain amount, a small minimal amount, right? Which is why even when I was paying off my debt, I could afford to leave that running because it's it's small, right? And it just gave me a purpose, gave me the sense of I'm doing something more than paying debt but this is what happened by the by the time i paid my debt off and i had like i had like 4k left to pay off right and i was like okay i could still do this for another couple of months and i could pay it off but then i looked in my savings and then i saw that i could just pull my savings and clear off my debt and that's what i did i pulled Mm -hmm. it out i cleared off my debt i'm like yeah i'm broke but i'm also not owing the bank money so that was what I did. And so 
it gave me it was like oh yay so i it it, it yeah. helped me like hit my goal sooner than i thought um but i wasn't doing too much like i wasn't at the time i wasn't doing rssp at all all my money was like i was just trying to f- focusing on clearing out this thing and i was doing the mocha stuff as well which they were just removing like that roundup figure so it's it was even an amount that you would not necessarily notice say every week they take 20 20 bucks from your account like not that you don't notice it but it's not if you take it as your money for coffee for the week you just you know you just say okay 20 bucks that's fine and they round it up um but for the most part um maybe because i wasn't investing at the time i i didn't make any mistakes but it just helped me focus on and i did the the snowball method because i needed some form of not instant gratification but i needed something i needed something and so when i to see something cross off exactly so when i remember when i crossed the first card off i got my scissors and i cut that card in two there you go. And I said, be gone from me. <laughs> Actually, I have so a that question was, both that was, of you. Okay. Both of you, give me your hot take. Do you feel like when you pay off your debt, you should cut off credit? And do you believe in a no credit card system? Like, just spend only the money that you have, so no credit cards. Or do you believe in, like, tracking the credit cards and try, sort of trying to play the game where you're getting all the benefits, but you're not paying any money on those credit cards, like... I will use my I use my credit cards all the time. Everything, pretty much everything I purchase is on my credit card, but I will not make a purchase unless I have that money sitting in cash as well. And you're diligent and faithful, and because like it so never happens I, it, that you it, buy something that you don't have in your in your in your check-in, and then you exactly. buy it with your credit card because that's how you get into debt. It's just like you want that gratification. It's a you sorry, you want to have that thing. You might not have the money now, but it comes back to the needs versus wants that we talked about mm-hmm. before. Um, I know myself first. It's like, yeah, I won't buy something unless I truly, I truly need it. And if I know I truly need it, then I will have the money sitting inside in cash. I'll use my credit card because I want to build the credit as well as I'm going to want the points that I'm going to get with that credit card. right? Uh, but for other people who m- may be more, will just spend more, even if they don't have the cash, that's how you get into trouble. In which case, I would probably advocate for not using credit because that way you're not getting yourself into trouble. Right? Yeah. You're not tempted. Adrian, um, would you, are you a, like you said, you cut the, when you paid off, you cut it off. Like, are you a, do it away with it so that you don't, no, you don't so get tempted? It, no. So let me explain. I think, first of all, I, if you can, I'd say still use your credit. I still use my credit card. The one I cut off was what I realized was I had too many credit cards. So that was me getting rid of, I didn't call to close the account though. I just, I don't care about the card. I don't want to use anything from this account. That's it. And so I cut the card so I I would not reach for it because I was trying to like narrow my credit cards to like two cards, right? So I'm like, I have too many, which is why I cut that one up. I'm like, this is done. I'm not using this. But I would still say like, I still use my credit card. Um, I use it to, for stuff and I, I'm I'm trying to be diligent in putting the money back, uh, not all the time, but um, um, I think like to what Chris was saying before, you have to be very disciplined. You have to make it a lifestyle. It's not I, because I think the mistake I made previously was I started started bad, fixed it, got better, got really good, and then I didn't sustain it. Because I wasn't, at the time, I wasn't thinking about it as a change in lifestyle. It was just like, oh, this is done now. Oop, 
life goes back to normal. Yeah. And so I, but now that I'm understanding that, oh, no, 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 no. This has to be the lifestyle. This has to be how you move going forward. Like when you have cleared your debts, this is how you have to keep moving. I think, I think that's what I did not get the last time I did it. And that's what I'm trying to do this time around. So I'm still for, um, use credit cards, build your credit score. Um, especially just because. Okay, go ahead. But do you feel like if you had cut your credit cards, then it would have been permanent? <laughs> like, no. you wouldn't, you wouldn't, okay. It, I don't okay. think so. And I don't think so because at the time, even when I cut that one credit card, at the time I wasn't earning good money, right? So I think I would have still fallen back if I had cut everything, I would have just ended up running to the bank saying, my card got lost, I need a new one. Um, I think that's what would have happened. And also it goes back to, remember earlier where, where I said I don't do like strict rules, super strict rules of like cut everything off and only use what you have in your pocket. This is not Nigeria. Canada doesn't operate the way Nigeria operates. And even even that, even with Nigeria, a lot of people are still in debt because people go and they use all they these loan around. sharks and they take money and then the interest is like 200%, which is wild. But um, I think when you live in Canada, for example, you need to build up good credit. And I think it's important to have good credit because you need it to buy things. You want to buy a car, you want to rent a house or you want to buy a house. You need the good score, the good credit score. So I cannot even in good conscience say like cut up all your cards and never use them again because you do need to build up that score. But I think you could do like, if you're a very disciplined person, you should be like Chris and only buy things that you know you can, you can pay off almost immediately or immediately. So I think, I think that's, that's the best. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. Um, Chris, um, do you have any, because I feel like we've covered all our questions, but I was going to ask, do you have any like recommended reading or recommended resources that people could go to and say, oh, I'm trying to learn more and build a better personal finance habit? Where would you send people? So I think there, there's a few good books and I think we'll put like, you know, there's, there's the common ones like from like the, the wealthy barber, which is a little bit old, but they're, they're, uh, we'll probably put them in the show notes. I'm assuming we can yeah. put stuff in show notes. Yeah. So um, a few good books, I think from a Canadian perspective, that will be important that we'll put in the show notes. The one resource I really like and issue, I've, I've shared this with you before um, is the personal finance Canada Reddit thread. Which oh, yeah. if, if you if you have you know a lot of questions, a lot of people like you know okay, it's internet threads. So take that for uh, internet forum basically, but so take that for what it's worth. But you'll you'll if you have all the questions, it's a, it's a really accessible way of of getting people's opinions. But what I find that they've really done well um, is they have like a wiki that has a lot of you know what are the basic steps that you should do for oh. you know take, kind of like what we talked about should you pay off your debt first should you build an emergency fund first and they there also have a lot of good resources um already pre-populated so we'll put that we'll put that link in the show notes so you can you can access it but they've already done the work of curating all that or so uh, i'm not going to duplicate what they've done there um but it's a really really great place to to read um and to learn as well Awesome. That's probably the if I had to pick one one thing, it's probably that because that will take you down a, a whole 
uh, a whole different a slew of different paths of books and other material as well. So that's probably where I was. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Because I, I'm, I'm writing it down for myself. Forget people. <laughs> because I find like many times with finance advice, it's it's not always like you barely find the Canadian tailored ones. Like I almost have yes. to, for example, when I listen to the Rams, like, oh, what is Ross IRA in Canada? Oh, yeah. TFS. Okay, what's this and this? Oh, that. Like I almost have to like try to switch it up versus, yeah. oh, this is personal finance and how to be successful in Canada, right? Um, so which is good really good. The thing is, a lot of the those that advice translates. You know, Canada versus US. It, it, okay, the accounts are going to be different, but the general advice and guidance that is really given in terms of how you should pay off debt—that's that's the same anywhere. Even even a lot of the books, like it's that's the same, right? Like yeah. it's that mindset and the behavior, that lifestyle mm-hmm. change that you need to make. Um, and then, yeah, from an, an account specific perspective, how you invest in Canada versus the US. I mean, there's there's a lot of resources that you can find, uh, especially at the, the the link that we'll we'll put out. Um, but yeah, it's. I think that's a okay. Good place. So I, I think I have one last question. Sure. Um, is do you have any information you could share with us about fire? Oh, okay, yeah, and you're, there's a whole other Reddit thread that you can find on that as well. But like, <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it's so financial independence, retire early, and so it's coming back to the idea of not needing to work to live. And being able to retire early and live off, essentially live off the appreciation and the dividends of your of your investments, um, and you see a lot of people. And, and realistically, I don't think that this is going to work for most people. I personally don't necessarily even believe in it. Right, the the whole retire early part. You know, you, I think you need to have you know a, a very high income, be able to save and invest a lot in order to actually get to that level. People try to do it in like their forties, and it's very hard because. At the same time, you taking a big risk of retiring in your forties. You know, you might live to a hundred years old, and are you going to actually be able to and live off your investments from for sixty years? That's very hard to predict. Um, so that th- that's the general concept: being able to accumulate enough money that you can invest it and live off those dividends and retire early, right? Financial independence, retire early. There's subcategories of that where people it's like, well, they're just going to take jobs when they need it, or they're going to go work at a coffee shop and something that's a little bit less stressful just to kind of give them some spending money. But the general idea is build money, retire early. Um, like I said, I personally don't believe in the necessarily the retire early part. Um, it's more for me, it's about the financial independence, which you talked about earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, being able to be stress-free um, not have to worry about layoffs and, and things just because, yeah, you know, I can live off my investments for a period of time. Um, I can work because I want to work. I'm not necessarily going to retire because maybe I enjoy what I'm doing. Yeah. Right. It's so and there, there's a lot of resources on the internet about this, uh, but that's, that's the general idea around it. Okay. Okay. Thank you so much. I think that brings us to the end of our questions and the end of this uh, episode Episode, I just wanted to say Chris it was really enlightening really educational I learned a lot Um, and I feel like because usually when when I when I'm gingered up like this this is the time where I just want to sit down and like open pull up like a hundred tabs on my on my browser and say okay I'm going to sit down and I'm going to study but this was really good this was really good Um, I personally I know Aisha orchestrated like the entire thing but I feel like I gained more (laughs) 
<laughs> I feel like I gained more. So I just wanted to say a huge thank you um, for coming on here and spending this time talking about finance. Really, really, really appreciate it. And it's been hey, no very, thank, very Thank you for inviting me. Thank you for having me here. This was, this was a lot of fun. So Thank you. Thank you well, so much. I guess, guys, this brings us to the end of the episode. So once again, you can find us across all social media platforms at roganlearning.com. Send us an email with questions, comments, concerns at contact at roganlearning.com. And on that note, guys, we'll see you in the next episode. Bye. Bye. Mm-hmm.